This is Louise Campbell, co-host of Surfing the National Army podcast, and I'm standing in this week for Roger Green whilst he takes a well-earned rest. And when he told me it was Jersey Shore, I just automatically thought of the programme. I never knew it was a place, so hopefully he's having a great time on Jersey Shore and having some rest and relaxation. So while the cat is away, the mice get to play. This weekend, we're offering conversations from Season 3, Episode 42, looking at the development framework and how this may be helpful for developing integrated multidisciplinary pathways for people with NASH or NAFLD. Within this, we delve into the role that patients and allied health professionals have within these and how and why some of these stakeholders are not involved from the beginning. And as you can probably appreciate when you have a bunch of nurses on a podcast with a doctor, it might get a little feisty. So well done, Jean Schattenberg, and listen for more. In this conversation, the discussion centres primarily around how patients see allied healthcare professionals. Where should we be? Which professionals should be where? Robert raises the issue of engaging patients at where patients are and the opportunities to locate solutions quicker in this. Michelle raises the strengths of nurses to educate as the largest workforce in health and making every contact count. And we're using the phrase that nurse is really a low-hanging fruit. A little bit controversial there from doctors. However, you know where we sit. Using examples of success in other pathway areas, Stephen offers the strength that can be shared through pathways, HIV, cardiovascular, and obviously I chip in on the cardiovascular as to when were the conversations about liver health related to cardiovascular health even raised? Find the answer, listen in. So let's start the discussion on framework. Where do you as a patient advocate and patient sit on allied health? Where do you think they fit into the pathway if you had to look at touch points or where people interact, think, feel, function? Robert Mitchell Fain. Great question. So actually, if I may, I'm not going to talk about now because I can, I think we could do a whole lot better. And I think the answer is in an ideal world where we were doing this properly, where would they be? absolutely everywhere. How many times have you been facing a patient? And now this could be in a clinical setting, it could be a friend setting, and the patient goes to you, you know, you say, how are you today? And they're like, my CAP score is killing me today. It doesn't. Their pain, their fatigue, whatever symptom, their quality of life issues are what's going to be hitting them, not their CAP score. Or, you know, how how are you today? Oh, my ALT is, you know, that just doesn't happen that way. It's about the symptoms and the symptom burden and how that affects patients particularly the professionals that are allied. So when you look at the much more conversational exchanges that nurses, physios, OTs, dietitians, dentists all have, they, they need to be part of the conversation. They need to be part of the answer because they have so much to bring. And if we can engage patients where patients are, we're going to find the solutions a whole, a whole lot quicker. Michelle Clayton. Can I just come in? And I think what you're talking about, Robert, there's a phrase called making every contact count. I think this is absolutely where nurses and allied health professionals are there, as you say, in that more conversation but very important role because we can identify risk factors, we can be promoting liver health in every conversation. And actually, when you look at the workforce, the health workforce, I mean, if you just take these statistics for the UK, there is around about 593,000 nurses in the UK. So we're the biggest group of healthcare professionals but 
we're not being utilised in terms of liver health because actually that's what we want, isn't it? We want liver health to prevent disease. I mean, I have to be balanced here and say it is very difficult at the moment because we know there's a 10% nurse vacancy rate also within the UK. So although we would wish to be across every part of the pathway, there may have to be certain areas where the nurse or the allied health professional is more key because we just don't have all of those numbers at the moment. Somebody once said to me about low-hanging fruit and that nurses are a good use in terms of low-hanging fruit because you can find those people. But also I find it quite worrying that people just think, well, that's all nurses are for because actually we have a very complex role. And as Robert says, we're spanning the whole of a pathway from that very initial primary facing right through to very specialist care. It is difficult because we're all doing more for less. And that is very challenging. But people do forget that there is potentially a very large group of healthcare professionals. Jörn Schattenberg. Let me just get in here, Louise, and mention two things that resonated with me now from the things that Stephen, Michelle and Robert mentioned. The last phrase may be more for less. It means there's not enough funds in the system to support nurses and give them, you know, either have enough nurses, as you said, there's a shortage or reimburse the system. And that's something that came out of that SDG paper where we said, you know, it's more funds and resources are needed. And I think they they need to go into that nursing aspect to have somebody at the patient sides that can do so much more than a physician that maybe discusses some hard facts or some diagnostics or maybe the next therapeutic steps. And looking at from Robert's perspective or the patient's perspective, of course, is what comes up with me and Robert, maybe one of the things that we've missed as physicians in the past is the empowerment of the patients. Now, it's difficult to empower each patient and educate them about, you know, as you said, the CAP or the ALT. Most of the time, that's for many patients, it's over their heads. Some want that information. Some don't want. It's difficult for a physician to find that out if you have a short time of contact. But I think that's where the, of course, patient advocacy comes in and is there to inform and support patients and empower them to be, you know, when they're talking to the physician to know what they should ask or what are the crucial measurements the physician relies on in assessing the patients. And that's also needed. And I think that was part of that paper that we brought forward saying, you know, we need resources and the whole discussion's got to involve that. So that's been said without the involvement of those professionals um, revisiting that theme. But I I just thought uh, these two aspects resonated with me when I listened to your comments. Stephen Callahan. Can I say something just just on on sort of the back of Michelle, really? I'm having the same conversation in heart failure at the moment. So I'm doing a pathway for the British Society for Heart Failure. And I'm doing also some work in rheumatology and everyone is fighting their own corner. Everyone's trying to fight for their disease and everyone's saying, how can we do this and how can we do that? And the way we've, re- we've resolved this, certainly for heart failure, because the, the question that was asked of me was, how do we raise heart
heart failure as a differential diagnosis higher up in the clinician's mind. And the reason for that is 80% of people with heart failure diagnosed in hospital. Of those 80%, 40% have had symptoms and visited the GP for two years. And they're presenting, they're decompensating, they're in an acute state and they're a later diagnosis, really. And you can talk about another disease with, with, with almost the same sort of pattern, really. And so everybody wants to fight their own corner. And what we've done in heart failure, we've thought, right, okay, so we thought of three things. Where are the settings where we can find people? So primary care, for example, A&E, a community clinic, etc. And what are the opportunities are there where we can capture people? And then we thought, well, what type of people are we going to capture to get our highest yield? And so we've prioritised our list. So for example, obesity, diabetes, COPD, AF, there's another one that can't think now. But if we say in these settings and in these opportunities, if you have someone with these existing conditions, obesity, diabetes, and they have swollen ankles or they're breathless, please, please think of heart failure higher up the agenda instead of having this, everyone needs to think about heart failure blanket approach. And then what we can do is, to answer your sort of question, Michelle, is is then you can sort of target your workforce then to make every contact count. I have these conversations, I can see the same problems in different disease areas, really, you know, and everyone has the same sort of passion, but it's just about discipline and realising that, you know, as you say, 10% deficiency in the workforce in nursing. It was just a a reflection. No, 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 it's an excellent reflection because I'm now going to bat the ball back. At what stage in the communities that you have just described in heart failure did you have the discussion about fatty liver disease? Because they sit in the mall and locate the fatty liver disease before you get the heart failure. This is where we're talking really upstream because if we locate that bad liver and poor liver health, 80% of those patients don't get diagnosed in casualty or in hospital with heart failure. And I bet it didn't come up because they're all the same population. What we're trying to do is target earlier all populations because poor health in the liver sits below them all. And this is the framework. It's that diabetes nurse or the GP primary care nurse, exactly what you're discussing, having a general discussion about your blood pressure, your this, your diet. Oh, and how's your liver health this week? I mean, these podcasts obviously are certainly helping, but I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast is interested in liver disease. You know, it's about how you get that out to the generalist. I, I, I said in my introduction, because of my A&E background, I am a generalist. I've worked in primary care. I've done community. I've done A&E. I'm a generalist, really. How do you get somebody like me in clinical practice to think about heart failure, think about liver disease, think about all these things um, that people are not thinking about, you know, oh, well, you're swollen ankles, oh, right, oh, you're breathless, oh, that must be your, your chest then, that must be your COPD, you know, and ignoring the fact that, you know, trying to try triangulate these symptoms. Good point. I mean, it, it is, it's, it's trying to find that way really through, because, you know, you talk about pathways, if you did a pathway for NAFLs, you know, fatty liver disease, then the specialists aren't going to use the pathway the specialists are the authors of the pathway you know what to do you know when to refer you know what blood tests to do you know how to manage the patient really it's the generalist it's the practice nurse it's the gp you know it's the community matron it's the junior doctor on the acute medical assessment unit these are the people that you need to reach really to grab the generalist really. go on then michelle jump in well i was just going to say it's interesting when you're speaking about that steve because actually when we look at risk factors for living disease it's people who are overweight with obesity have diabetes cardiovascular risk maybe drink a bit too much but when you look at that that's everything that in a sense it is being asked 
in primary care, but it's not being translated into these are risk factors for liver disease. People just think, well, this is a problem in terms of diabetes, this is a problem in terms of cardiovascular risk. And it's about, again, trying to, and we can talk about education constantly, but people have a, a set amount of time to spend with each patient. But it's how, how do we to make this a multi-comorbidity assessment. Robert, can you jump in on what's the view? What do people really feel that they need in these assessments? Is it just one thing and then get targeted or do they want people to pick it all up at the same time? Because Michelle's right, that we do ask those questions uh, and they are done very well in primary care, but they're not connected. So this, this is where clinicians and everyone who works in the field has my sympathy. Patients are whole people. You know, if you have naffled, you don't just have liver disease. As Stephen was alluding to earlier, you know, if you have a heart problem, you don't just have heart disease. And this goes back to the very first conversation we had, where we have a wonderful paper that's taken in a silo. We need, as patients, we need the entire community to come together and not just think about heart disease, not just think about liver disease, because we as patients need more than one therapy, more than one organ being monitored and more than one answer to our questions. Now how we produce that is a much much bigger conversation. I'm not sure we have the scope or time tonight to do that but I think it's important to start raising those questions and this is where people like Yorn can lead from the front and when they produce a beautiful helpful paper by being more inclusive you're setting the standard for best practice. And so when we come together at conferences, I would love to see heart specialists talking at EASO about NAFOLD and all of these kind of things where we start to bring in the other experts and bear in mind that first and foremost, patients are whole people. And I know that complicates things and I know it makes it so much more difficult, but we're never ever going to get around that. So we're just going to have to address it. Well, one important aspect here, I think, in clinical medicine is that we do have less and less generalists, as Stephen calls himself, of course, everybody is super specialized. That complicates, and I'm, I'm aligned with you here, Robert, certain you know intersectoral cares and maybe circling back to allied health professionals, um, the nurse sits in the perfect spot to combine all these experts and funnel that back to the patient and, and guide them through those uh, and through the system. One of the things that came out of our Barcelona meeting on the patient pathways was that there could be dedicated nurses or patient-to-patient peer uh, advisors that, that actually guide patients. And I think that could help partially overcome some of that specialization we're seeing in clinical medicine today. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Surfing the Nash Tsunami. Until then, stay safe and surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.